Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Boot Camp. Parshad Vayishlach, Tough Shin, Pay Bet. We thank our season sponsors, Ilana Mark Rothenberg, Rachel Feiner, Leilu Nishmas, Azriel Ben Yaakov. It's a very short day. We'll try to give you three short Divrei Torah that you could repeat at the Shabbos table and beyond. I think you'll find it very meaningful. We learned this week about the first wrestling match in the history of the Torah between Yaakov and the Tsar, the angel of Esav. The term that is used to describe the battle is Vayeovek Ish Imo, and they fought with each other. Rashi gives us two interpretations of Vayeovek. The first one is they were grabbing each other at the legs and the dust was coming up. It would explain why Yaakov ends up getting injured. Imagine your kids fighting at the beach, grabbing at each other, the dirt, the sand flying up into everybody's faces. But there is a second interpretation that Rashi brings, and I want to try to explain, based on the Ksav Sofer, why Rashi had to give a second interpretation and what we learned from the second interpretation. Vayeovek, the Ksav, the Rashi explains, also could be explained as hugging. And if you look into Rashi, it looks like it was like a bear hug, like classic wrestling. They were grabbing at each other. But the Ksav Sofer reads into this Rashi a little bit deeper. And he says, what's the idea that these brothers are hugging each other? We know that Esau's Sar, Esau himself, of course, was the enemy of Yaakov Avinu. So what exactly does this hug reflect? And comes the Ksav Sofer, the great son of the Chassam Sofer. We have many Svarim of the Ksav Sofer. The Ksav Sofer, according to the doctors, was not supposed to live past the age of six. Now, unfortunately, he passed away, I think, at the age of 56. But those were 50 years that many thought would never exist. And in those years, not only did he build his family and continue the legacy of the Sofer family, many who are still around today, but he was able to share such incredible Torah with us. And the Ksav Sofer says, you know, we have different types of enemies, or there are times that we have opposition to us in different ways. The first Rashi, interpretation of Rashi, that is the obvious enemy, anti-Semitism. We have people that are out to get us, even Rahman al-Islan. Today, it was true in the 1800s when he wrote this. But then you also have people that try to act very nicely to us. Maybe they want us to assimilate into the ways of a secular culture. That's the second interpretation of Rashi, says Gustav Sofer. That's when they're hugging us. It looks like a hug. But the goal is to squeeze out the neshama, to squeeze out the Yiddishkeit from us. And we have to be aware. You know, the first enemy is very obvious. The second may not even be an enemy. It may not be an enemy we could identify. It could be a society. It could be a culture. And if we start investing into ideas that are foreign to Yahadus, foreign to our ethical system, foreign to our emuna and bitachan system, then we're actually squeezing ourselves. So Rashi wanted to give us both interpretations. He wanted us to understand that the Sar of Esav appears in different ways. It's very incredible that the Gemara says in Masech HaSchulen that the Sar of Esav basically showed up like a Hasidic Sherebbe. Now, that's not the language that the Gemara uses in Chulen, but the Gemara says it appeared as a very pious individual. Sometimes our greatest enemies may look like us. Maybe they dress like us but we have to be very careful to protect ourselves. Now, it's somewhat of a defensive approach, which is what the Ksav Sofer had to deal with in his time, but we do as well. 
It doesn't take away from the fact that we're supposed to hug our neighbors and we should reach out to people that are different than us, but we should never compromise on the values of understanding that we have to surrender our will to the way of Hashem. I'm going to jump now to a Hasidic piece of Torah because I left one out last week, and then we're going to end with a contemporary view. Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim. In the very beginning of the parsha, Yaakov sends Malachim. And we know the debate. Were they real Malachim, human beings? That's a discussion we don't have to have right now. But either way, he commands them. Vayitzavo Som Lemar, he says to them, Ko Somrun La Adoni La So you should say to my master Esav. And then he goes on to say, Ko Amar Avdecha Yaakov, your servant Yaakov uh, lived, Im Lavangarti Vaicharata. And the question that the great Noam Elimelech asks, Noam Elimelech is not easy to learn on Chumash, but the insights are incredible, is why when Yaakov is talking to the angels, does he, or talking to the Malachim, the agents, why does he call Esav Adoni? We understand in the second part of the Pasuk, he says, Ko Amar Avdecha Yaakov, that Yaakov has to lower himself and humble himself, so it's your servant Yaakov. But why, when he's talking to these agents, does he call Esav his Adon? The master of Yaakov at this point, in reality, was the Rebona Shalom. Why is he giving such respect to Esav, giving him the wrong impression? And what the beautiful insight that comes from the Noam Elimelech is he's not addressing Esav. You have to read the Pasuk like this. I want you, as you go approach my brother, who's my enemy, to keep speaking to Hashem, La'adoni. I want Tefillah to be part of this mission. I'm davening, I want you to daven as well. And then I also, I want you to speak to Esav. But the first La'adoni is not Esav. The first La'adoni is the Rebona Shalala. And it makes sense, because in the second part of the Pasuk, he doesn't use the term Adoni, he uses the term Koamar Avdecha Yaakov. Tefillah is not something that we just do, like one time. It's not like Yaakov just davened once in order to be saved. He was continuously davening, and he was telling his messengers that they had the same responsibility as well. Thank you, the Noam Lelimelech, for your beautiful insight. Now, I want to end with something else regarding tefillah that comes from Rav Mordechai Druk. And I've been quoting from his Sefer many times this year in different contexts. What exactly is the purpose of tefillah? Or what was Yaakov Avino trying to accomplish with this particular tefillah? Now, I mentioned in the Wednesday morning tefillah shir that according to Ravolbi, the purpose of this tefillah was part of the hishtadlus. It was part of the human effort. We very often think of tefillah as something spiritual, outside of the human effort. But you know, the Ramban tells us in this week's parsha that Yaakov models for us that when we have to deal with a confrontation, something challenging, we have to have a multi-tiered approach. In this situation, in dealing with an enemy, it was a three-tiered approach. Number one, send gifts. Try to appease your enemy. Number two, establish a military fight, a military stance. And number three, I'm not saying which one is most important and in which order, is pray. 
But Ravobi said, as I pointed out in the Shir, prayer is part of the human effort, just like setting up a military front and just like giving gifts. Rav Druk takes a different approach when it comes to this story. And he says, tefillah very often is what actually gives us the confidence. It gives us the courage. It gives us maybe some bravado to be able to go to the next step. And that's what Yaakov is doing here. He brings down a very fascinating uh, teaching from Chazal. The Gemara teaches us that if we come, somehow a Torah guy is able to show you the stone where Moshe Rabbeinu stood when he, the Jewish people were fighting against Amalek. You should say a bracha, sha'asa nisim, that a bracha took place, a, nas, a miracle took place in this spot. And he asks the obvious question. The nace didn't take place where Moshe was standing. The nace took place down in the battle where Yoshua was leading the battle against Amalek. But the answer that Rav Druk explains so beautifully is you have to look at where's the place that gave us the confidence for the fighters to take place. For the miracle to ultimately take place, it was only because the human beings were willing to intervene themselves. So this is just a different way of looking at tefillah. And in every tefillah, there could be different approaches. Maybe sometimes it's the human effort. Maybe sometimes it's the human effort that generates our confidence. Maybe it's all of the above. Thank you, and have a great Shabbos.